0: the secret uh, police in Syria I knew about what I was uh, doing I got arrested in uh, March 2011 I uh, stayed in, in jail for around 40 days mm-hmm. in Syria and when I was released Syria was different people were in the streets protesting uh, the regime
1: My name is Adela Kohav and I'm Mariam Waba we are the daughters of diaspora and this is American Welcome back to Americanish. This week, we're talking about the wonderful country and the people of Syria. In the early morning of February 6th, a magnitude 7.8 earthquake ripped through Turkey and Syria, followed by nine hours later, a 7.5 aftershock. Two weeks later, on February 20th, an additional 6.3 magnitude earthquake struck the area. The loss of life and destruction across both countries is astonishing, just as the images and stories are heartbreaking.
2: Though Syria and Turkey were each hit hard, their media coverage and path to recovery look dramatically different. Unlike Turkey, which is a relatively modernized country, Syria is a nation divided in the midst of a now nearly 12-year civil war. We cannot discuss the effect of, effects of the earthquake without first understanding the history and geopolitics of the region. Today, we are so lucky and blessed to be joined by the wonderful Hadiah al Hadil is a writer and a news analyst focusing
1: on U.S. and foreign policies for the Middle East. She analyzes U.N. foreign affairs for BBC Arabic, Deutsch, Well Arabic, Al Hoda, and other major Arabic networks. Hadil was born and raised in northeast Syria and has advocated for democracy and minority rights in Syria during the years of the war.
2: Hadil reported for years through the Jamina Voice platforms about Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews and has been an active voice in calling for peace in the Middle East. Currently, Hadil is a research fellow, excuse me, a senior research fellow at the Philos Project. Hadil, welcome. We are so happy to have you with us today. Happy to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. First off, we want to hear more about you. Who is Hadeel? Um, You know, how did you grow up and how did you make your way here to the United States?
0: So uh, I was born in uh, Syria, in Northeast Syria to a Syriac family. Syriac is a um, um, a minority in Syria, a Christian minority. It's a minority of a minority. Christians are a minority in Syria, and Syriacs are a minority as well among the Christians in Syria. Uh, in 2011, this is how I like to start uh, telling my story. In 2011, I was uh, in my first year in college in Aleppo, another city, another city I was uh, born in. And I started to hear about uh, the news of the Arab Spring, uh, what was happening in uh, Tunisia, uh, Egypt, and other Arab countries. And I was thinking that Syria needs democracy as well. And maybe Syria uh, has a a more brutal uh, dictatorship than the ones in Tunisia and Egypt by far. So why we're not protesting as well? Uh, so I started to be active on the internet, in Facebook, uh, calling for democracy, calling uh, my colleagues in the college uh, to, to protest the regime and to try to make a change like the youth in Egypt and um, Tunisia. Uh, it didn't to take too too long uh, until the uh, the secret uh, police in syria uh, knew about what i was doing it was not a lot but they uh, don't allow anyone to uh, do anything against uh, the regime so uh, i got arrested i got arrested in uh, march 2011 i was uh, 19 years old uh, back then and um, it was a very uh, hard experience. I uh, stayed in, in jail for around 40 days in Syria. And when I was released, Syria was different because when I got into the jail, uh, there were no protests in Syria yet. There were just people talking about it, people uh, trying to change the reality in Syria. But uh, when I went out, people were in the streets protesting uh, the regime. Uh, I did not feel secure anymore in the country and the country was not secure for anyone uh, by that time. So uh, my family decided that I uh, I have to, to leave Syria. And this is what we did. I, I just left Syria. I uh, went to Sweden. I visited many countries until I ended up in uh, in the US uh, but uh... Uh, what I want to mention here is uh, my stay in Geneva. Uh, I stayed in Switzerland in Geneva where I met the uh, US delegation to Switzerland. I talked in the uh, UN Human Rights Council and uh, told my story, told the stories of the youth in Syria, told the story of uh, the Arab Spring that I believe uh, it was not just a radical movement by Islamists. Uh, of course, Islamists uh, took over that movement. Uh, they had more support, more resources, uh, more knowledge about how to be active in these countries. Uh, But I told the story to the world and uh, the U.S. delegation asked me if I want to come uh, to the U.S. And I said, yes, of course, I'd love to. And a few months later, I uh, came here and uh, I'm living in Washington, D.C. since then. Oh Wow. That's,
1: that's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And I mean, it, it's crazy to to hear about young activists who actually, you know, do more than talk. They actually put their actions, um, front and center. So first off, I commend you for all of your work. Um, I can't imagine how those experiences must've been for you. Do you still have family in Syria?
0: Um, not really. I have uh, people that I know. I have some friends, but, uh... In the area where I came from, northeast Syria, and where we have U.S. troops there now, uh, there is not a lot of Christians left. There is small community. Mm-hmm but not a lot of Christians left because they suffered. Uh, ISIS emerged in that area in precise more than any other areas in Syria. So that uh, caused most of the Christians to leave. My family left two years later after me uh, and they are in Sweden now. I have like almost 50 people from my big family who immigrated within few years to Sweden.
1: Wow, that's that's phenomenal. You know, being a Syrian Christian, a lot of people, when they hear Syria, they definitely don't think of other religious minorities. So how has being a Syrian Christian uh, been for you in Syria when you were growing up? Did you live in a big Christian, specifically community? And then coming to the U.S., have you been able to find a diaspora version of that community?
0: Yes, of course. So uh, the Syrian uh, Christian community is a minority. It used to be uh, almost uh, in the 60s, uh, 10%, 11% of the population, but it declined uh, in the 80s, in the 90s, and uh, we became around 6%. in 2011 and of course after the war after 2011 the this uh, no, the numbers declined even more and although uh, the christians were a minority uh, they had um, a very remarkable uh, impact in the country in syria you see them everywhere you see them in uh, educational sectors you see them uh, in um, in, in most of the important institutes in Syria. So uh, they are everywhere. They were even in the government. There were uh, uh, like many defense ministers for Syria who uh, who were Christians, many uh, foreign affairs ministers mm-hmm. who were so uh, they had a big impact on the culture on the uh, on the arts in Syria on the uh, cuisine uh, but of course uh, this is uh, fading with time because uh, the numbers are not as before and the capabilities the ability of the christians to be active to speak out to uh, to say we are here our culture is here uh, is not the same as before mm-hmm.
2: yeah I
0: um, first that's an
2: amazing story and I'm, I'm so happy you and your family are now here in the US and safe um, I wonder so obviously you were a threat to the regime because you're a dissenter and you were uh, doing anti-regime activities including on Facebook and protesting in the streets was there any part of the arrest or during the arrest um, was your Christian identity brought into the mess you were causing
0: So uh, the regime wanted and tried to uh, tell me the same story that uh, they tried to tell the world that uh, this movement is a a radical extremist Islamist movement. And it's not in your interest as a Christian. They were telling me in the jail, are you crazy? Why are you with these people? Because the group that I was arrested with are colleagues from Aleppo University. And most of them are of course uh, Muslim Sunnis. Uh, but uh, I like them. Uh, they are my friends. They are, uh, we have a lot in common. And uh, I I don't believe, I never believed the theory of the regime. Uh, I agree that the movement uh, later on became very extremist, very radical in Syria, Uh, Extremists took over everything. But uh, this is how they portrayed it for me. They tried to convince me that this is not in the interest of uh, my people. And at the end, uh, the one who helped release me, because um, most of the times when you go to jail in Syria, you never go out. The one who helped me was uh, Bishop uh, Johanna Ibrahim, who, I, uh, who who I really miss, and we all miss now. He, he was kidnapped uh, by uh, unknown groups in, uh, in Aleppo a few years later, but he's the one who, who helped me uh, get released. He came to uh, the security center that I was arrested in and uh, uh, he guaranteed that I won't go against the regime again and uh, he helped me get out of that jail. So um, another time that uh, my Christian identity uh, came up uh, during uh, my stay in jail uh, was that uh, Bishop Yohanna Ibrahim, the bishop of the Syriac Orthodox Church in Aleppo, was the one who helped me to get released. He, uh, my my family, uh, did not know anything about me for days, and when they heard that I'm in jail in Aleppo. Uh, The first one they thought about uh, was the bishop of our church. Uh, So uh, they asked him to to help and uh, he helped me. He came uh, to the jail where I I stayed and uh, he told them that uh, he guarantees that I won't do any harm for this country. I'm uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not a bad person and I'm not also going to go against this regime anymore. And uh, this is how uh, I was released.
2: And it's interesting when we look at the Arab Spring across all Arab nations that experienced some sort of Arab Spring in that the regimes at the time tried to convince everybody uh, that the revolutions or the attempted revolutions were Islamist undertakings, and at some point they they did become so because you had uh, institutions like the Muslim Brotherhood hijacking the revolutions and capitalizing on the moment of weak government to swoop in and and take. So it's it's interesting to hear you say that that's the case for Syria too. And I want to dig in a little bit into the Arab Spring, which we'll get into in a sec. But first, I want to zoom out and talk about Syria as a modern nation, which didn't exist until about 1919 with the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Um, This makes Syria a relatively young nation. um, And I'm sure you've done this a million times before. But can you give us a brief rundown of what is Syria? Who is Syria? What is the demographic? um, What does Syria
0: as a nation mean? So, uh, Syria is um, a relatively uh, medium-sized uh, Middle East country. Uh, it is new, as you said, Mariam. Uh, it was ruled by uh, military councils between uh, 1919, the fall of the Ottoman Empire, until the 70s. And so, there were no stability, no um uh, clear system that was uh, in control of Syria until the 70s, early 70s, al-Ba'ath party, uh, Hafez al-Assad, the Assad family took over Syria. And since then, Syria is under, under the control of the Assad family. The Assad family is an, is an Alawite family. Um, it is closer to the uh, Shia uh, Muslims, uh, while the majority of the Syrians are Sunnas the Sunni Muslims. Uh, So for decades, the Sunnis felt uh, that it's unfair that this minority is controlling Syria. And of course, in a very undemocratic system, uh, there is no real uh, elections that uh, took place in Syria uh, since ever. Uh, So... uh, Uh, This is is Syria, but the Assad family, especially Hafez al-Assad, the father of the current uh, president, Bashar al-Assad, he was a strong man and he was uh, relatively a smart man comparing him to other Arab leaders back then. So this is why Syria had a big influence and big impact uh, in the region, in the Middle East. Syria was a main player in the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, Syria led uh, or tried to lead uh, many uh, failed wars against Israel. Uh, Syria also invaded Lebanon for for years. Uh, al Assad family was not only uh, controlling Syria, but also uh, Lebanon as well. Uh, This is why many Lebanese until today, they don't really like Syria. But in 2011, they started to know that Syrians don't like the regime that controlled them. So... Uh, they started to know more about Syria. Syria was a very closed country. Uh, if we compare it to uh, Lebanon, if we compare it to Egypt, if we compare it to Jordan, uh, Syria is the Korea of, uh, of the Middle East. Uh, it was close to everything. Uh, Syrians uh, say many jokes about uh, things that they didn't know, things that did not exist. Uh, we had only one TV channel uh, until... Uh, Late '90s, uh, mm-hmm. the Assad regime did not uh, like allow Syrians to eat bananas. There were no bananas in Syria until uh, very late time. Uh, they, there were no. Uh... <laughs> yes, I know it's that funny. That sounds
2: terrible. <laughs> no bananas. So all these well, were all these decisions a deal uh, conscious choice of the regime the, of the Assad yeah. family and their control
0: to limit. The exposure that Syria and Syrians yeah. were had to, okay. to, to any to any uh, like other yeah. cultures so uh, so yes this is why syria was very late and i always think that uh things get uh, very uh, much worse than other places after the arab spring because the syrian people were not exposed were not exposed to any other political ideas any other mm-hmm. languages like people in egypt or, or lebanon they speak english they speak french more than the syrian people even in jordan a very poor country uh, with a lot of troubles and conflicts they uh, they are exposed more to uh, other cultures so uh, yes this is syria and until 2011 uh, people uh, some people who are interested in politics who are interested in the arab spring started to know about protests in syria the war in syria a dictator who is killing thousands of his people uh, but Syria became really very well known when ISIS emerged, the very ugly extremist group uh, emerged. It emerged from Syria and Iraq and mainly Syria because the capital of ISIS was in Syria, in the middle of Syria, two hours uh, far from the city that I was born in, in eastern Syria, Raqqa. Hadil, you bring up
2: really interesting points, and I have a few follow-up questions on that. But first, I want to remind everybody listening that there was a time period where Egypt and Syria uh, merged to create uh, one country. Was it the 1950s, and uh, 1975 uh, till
0: uh, oh. 1960.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. It was okay, much later yes. than I thought. Okay, um, yes. uh, for how long were they together?
0: Uh almost uh, two years but it was very troubling time all of it was uh, right
2: yeah there was the united arab republic yes and it was a product of of nasser's uh attempt at arab nationalism trying to create an arab nation so he proposed to some political leaders in Syria to merge and they created this country called the United Arab Republic. And there's this funny joke uh, that actually a Syrian told me, Uh, he said, Nasser would have been successful if he didn't have as many opinions as he had from the Syrians. There were just as many people trying to topple Nasser as there are many Syrians in the world, Um, which gives you a little bit of insight into what that time period looked like. My question for you, given this context of like Syria was closed off to the world. What is the relationship like between Syria and other Arab countries? Um, And not necessarily politically, even linguistically, culturally. um, What relationship exists, existed in the past, and what does it look like today?
0: Uh, One of uh, the fathers of uh, the Arab nationalism... Uh, maybe after uh, Jamal Abdel Nasser was Hafiz al-Assad, the the, uh, the president, the like, president of uh, Syria, the father of the current president. So Arabism was a big thing in our curriculums. Uh, it was uh, a big thing in our national TV. So uh, they always told us that we are all Arabs. Like, for example, I'm Syriac, I'm not Arab, uh, but we're not allowed to say that everyone is Arab. Uh, But uh, if you dig in, uh, like, uh, the relations uh, when it comes to, uh, like, the political levels between uh, Hafez al-Assad and other other Arab countries, it was not very good because, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the Assad regime is an Alawite regime. It's, uh, it's a Shia minority, while most of the Arab countries uh, were uh, ruled by uh, Sunni Muslim uh, governments. So uh, Assad was always somehow uh, on the side of Iran, more closer to Iran uh, than the Arabs. He did not trust the, the Arab countries, and they did not trust him as well. So uh, Syria was on the brink of uh, Uh, Starting a war with Iraq, for example, Uh, there were many big and ugly disputes between uh, Syria and the Gulf countries uh, like Saudi Arabia, uh, Bahrain, uh, many Mm -hmm. other uh, Gulf countries. Uh, Syria uh, had, uh, I I mentioned before, uh, Syria invaded Lebanon. Uh, so there were a lot of uh, troubles between uh, Sy- the Syrian government and other Arab governments, but they always told us that we are Arabs. This is the first and most important identity for us. And it's funny that after uh, 2011, uh, when uh, when the Arab Spring started and Arab countries like the Gulf countries started to support the Syrian opposition, uh, the Assad regime started to say that, Saudi Arabia Kuwait Qatar those are not Arabs we are <laughs> the Arabs. so although uh, if you think about it as an ethnicity uh, even maybe the Muslims in Syria are not totally Arab, so right. yeah. Arabs Arabs yeah. uh, so uh, but they started to say that Arabism is ours we made it uh, yes so yeah This question of who is an Arab and who is
2: not (laughs) contains to remains like the one of the biggest questions that comes across people who study or engage with the Middle East. And we did a like a few episodes back, we did like a little 10 minute segment trying to explain what the word Arab means, because technically speaking, although Hadil and I both speak Arabic and we're Syria and Egypt, respectively, uh, technically, we're not really Arabs um, because. We're Christians and oh, Hadil is Syriac. I'm Coptic, um, but this question of who is an Arab um, is is really a huge one, and it really came up uh, a lot during the Arab Spring too. Yes, yeah, actually, Hadil, and in, in one
1: of our earlier episodes, uh, we had a lot of controversy around whether or not Jewish people from the middle east are allowed to call themselves arab jews and we got a lot of pushback from people who are arab and not jewish and a lot of pushback from jews who say that jews can't be arab so we actually did a whole segment i I had my 23andme results and i'm 92 percent middle east and north african so it became like this kind of like weird thing where it's like well do i trust my dna do i trust my family history do i trust the fact that my family came from the region so um I'll talk a little bit about that before we get back into um the hard politics. So um for our listeners who have heard this a couple of times before, um as you know, I am a Jew from Syria and Lebanon. So um My family on my dad's side was actually in Kilis, which is now part of Turkey. But back in the day, it was greater Syria. Everything was greater Syria during the Ottoman Empire. Um, So they were in Kilis. And there's a weird folkloric story about my family. Apparently, um, close to the end of the First World War, apparently my great grandpa got into a fight with the Sheikh's son. And apparently he knocked out his eyeball. Again, we have no idea how truthful any of this is. So he had to flee to avoid death. So he fled to aleppo he was in aleppo for a couple of years and they said they're going to come after you and you have to leave or else they're going to kill you so he got on a boat and ended up in mexico of all places so that's on my dad's side of the story and on my mom's side of the family um they were um living in lebanon they were actually in beirut they were living sorry they were living in damascus and they were working in beirut so my grandpa would you know wake up every morning go to Beirut and then come back to Damascus. And then apparently there was just one day after the split happened where he just kind of got stuck in Beirut and he was like, okay, I guess I'm Beiruti now. And um, then my grandpa was born there. And then my family ended up moving also to Mexico, which has a very big Lebanese and Syrian Jewish communities. And um, we, we always talk about the the diversity of the Middle East, how people never really really realize that there's Christians living in the Middle East and that Jews used to live in a lot of these countries. So it's, um, you know, the, it, it's funny that you said like the idea of like pan-Arabism, who can be an Arab, um, who's allowed to call themselves an Arab. And then if you have history in the Middle East, but you're not an Arab, are you an Arab? How does your religious history play into whether or not you're an Arab? But um, let's turn that back around and um, let's talk about the Arab Spring. So we we talked about the Arab Spring a little bit earlier. Um, and you told us your experience personally in the Arab Spring. But for our listeners who don't know, the Arab Spring was a series of rebellions across the Middle East fighting for civil liberties, fair wages, freedom of speech, and against their leaders, corruption. Um, A lot of Middle Eastern countries saw at least at first some progress after the Arab Spring, and then others fell into more repressive regimes, and, and Syria was one of them. So what was the effect of the Arab Spring on Syria? You said after you left prison you saw more people standing up but now, you know, 10 years out, what was the effect of the Arab Spring?
0: Yes, so uh, unfortunately, uh, the most remarkable, the most seen impact and effect is uh, is a negative one. Uh, mm. It turned very quickly into a civil war in Syria. It started with the ambitious young people uh, like the one I was a decade ago. And uh, we wanted change in Syria, and uh, it, it very quickly turned into a civil war. Uh, today, uh, Syria is uh, very devastated, uh, very poor country. Um, it was not the best before 2011. I mentioned before how closed and how... Uh, 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 Like hard was it to leave in Syria, but uh, it is still hard now. And of course, it's harder. Uh, Assad regime did not want to go easily, uh, did not want to uh, change his behavior as well. Syria has been under uh, U.S. sanctions uh, for uh, almost eight years now. Mm -hmm. And of course, the sanctions are uh, improving the country even more, uh, there is no investment, no foreign investment in Syria. We used to have some of it that started to come after 2005. Now there is no foreign investment. Uh, the The war that uh, was very brutal because uh, the uh, when the people protested, uh, the protests were mainly in uh, Sunni cities.
2: Uh,
0: mm. The Muslim Sunnis uh, revolted against the, the regime and when they saw that the regime is facing uh, just peaceful prote- protesters with uh, with uh, uh, fighters with uh, tanks. They decided that uh, they gonna also uh, use weapons against him. And of course, many countries in the region started to send weapons to uh, to the protesters to. Uh, militias that uh, organized themselves very quickly, that have the ideological background and the ideological support from Muslim Brotherhood, from uh, many other groups. And uh, Al-Qaeda jumped in, ISIS emerged, uh, so uh, Assad started to uh, also... uh, escalate even more. Uh, he asked Russia and Iran with all their heavy weapons mm. uh, for help. And this is how many cities were uh, totally destroyed, totally wiped out in Syria. Now there are cities in Aleppo, uh, in, uh, in Homs, in Hama, in Daraa, all these Syrian cities that are totally uh, destroyed. And they look exactly uh, how the cities in Turkey and other areas in Syria now look with the earthquake. Hmm. So actually,
1: I have a question about that. We we talk about the Civil War, but for our listeners who don't know, who are the major players in the Civil War? What are the groups that are fighting each other?
0: So, um, as I mentioned, uh, that uh, it it started with peaceful protests when uh, these Sunni cities saw that the regime is going after them with heavy weapons. They started to also uh, fight the regime with uh, with weapons, but it's not like. All the civilians uh, started militias against the regime. It was uh, certain uh, people who have the experience, who uh, fought before in places like Iraq, in Iraq war, mainly extremists. Most of the people who... Uh, Joined these uh, militias that fought the regime were unfortunately extremists. So uh, it was mainly between uh, sydney militias and the the regime, the, uh, the the Syrian army. But of course, the Syrian army uh, was so huge, was so large. It was uh, almost two hundred thousand uh, fighters. Many mm-hmm. of them were Muslim Sunnis and they try they they descended from the main Syrian uh, Syrian army and joined the Sunni militias and uh, and said well now we are part of the opposition the armed opposition so there were the armed opposition some of it is the, just civilians who joined the militias. Others are descendants from the army and uh, the Syrian regime, who is Alawite. But when the Syrian regime uh, started to feel that he is outnumbered by Sunni fighters, because uh, the the Sunni uh, the Sunni's population in Syria is uh, almost 80%, while uh, The Alawites, Christians and others are almost 20%. So when he felt that he's outnumbered, he asked Russia for help. So Russia became also a player in this war, but Mm -hmm. not on the ground. Russia uh, was helping him more from the air uh, by uh, the airstrikes. But also, of course, he asked Iran for help because he has this mutual background, ideological uh, Shia. Alawite background with Iran. So Iran joined the war with all its militias that came from Lebanon, came from even Yemen, came from Afghanistan, came from Pakistan, and um, also escalated this war even more.
1: Wow.
2: Yeah. And, and I want to highlight something, Hadil, you're hitting on right now um, and just make it very clear. There's Syria is a case of a minority ruling a majority and I maybe want you to explain a little bit more Hadil um, what is an Alawite and a Sunni and why there's this this con- disconnect between the ruling party being Alawite and not Sunni being part of the majority <laughs>
0: Mm-hmm. So it happened uh, let me answer the last question first the alawite controlled syria just because uh, the late president hafez al assad uh, was uh, too smart he uh, played the pan arabism uh, game very well uh, he convinced everyone around him uh, that uh, he is uh, his his uh, main and most important identity is uh, the arab identity and nothing else not his uh, religious background although uh, many historians write today that Hafiz al-assad was a very religious alawite man and he uh, he only believed in uh, in his uh, in his uh, alawite uh, faith so uh, but he convinced everyone that pan Arabism uh, is his top priority, and he controlled it. And when he controlled Syria, uh, he started to put Alawites in charge of the most important positions in Syria, especially uh, the uh, the security institutes, the army, uh, the most important infrastructure and economic uh, sectors. And this is how the Alawites became uh, stronger and stronger with time. And uh, it was very hard to uh, topple them down uh, because of uh, many reasons, not only internal reasons, but also uh, the international community, the United States, since the time of Hafez al-Assad, always feared that the alternative of this Alawite regime that is going to be a radical Sunni alternative I'm not trying to say that all the Sunnis of Syria are radicals, Uh, that's absolutely uh, not right. But this is what uh, the West feared, because uh, when uh, a Sunni group is powerful enough to uh, topple down this very strong and uh, tough regime, uh, Unfortunately, they are the extremist one. They are the one who has the resources. They are the one who has the ideology, while uh, the liberal Sunnis of the big cities, the uh, the wealthiest family of the Sunni uh, uh, Muslims of Syria were, were not powerful or or. Are strong enough to, uh, to, to, or, or they don't have the tools to topple down uh, this regime. They are just uh, like me, like anyone who tried uh, to uh, change Syria with peaceful means, but uh, they could not. So this is how uh, the Alawites became in charge in Syria, and uh, the international community always feared. Uh, Uh, coupling down this regime as they feared to do so after 2011. Uh, There were a big chance that Assad can go and uh, we just change the regime, put a a Sunni or any other president in charge. But uh, there were always this fear from the alternative. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes, and what was the other question, Mariam?
2: No, I think you, you answered it. I was just trying to highlight the fact that Part of the struggle with Syria is that you have a minority ruling a majority, but the minority calls on uh, powers much stronger than the minority to come to its aid, including Iran and Russia. And you have the Alawites, the Assad family, um, you know, using... (laughs) Um, gas against their own people and committing massive human rights atrocities against a majority Sunni population. Um, And I think sometimes that gets lost in a lot of the lingo when people talk about Syria. And it's a very Mm. simple thing. It's a minority ruling a majority and that causes tensions. Um, But I think it gets lost. We want to turn our attention to uh, the earthquake. Um, At the very beginning of this episode, um, we mentioned that Syria was getting considerably less media attention than Turkey uh, post-earthquake. And and really, if we're being technical about it, uh, Turkey and Syria experienced three major earthquakes in the past two weeks. Um, And there are some legitimate reasons for why Syria is getting way less attention on Western media with regards to this earthquake and the path to our recovery. Can you talk us uh, through some of why that is the case?
0: So um, Syria has been under uh, very strong sanctions from the US, uh, a law called the Caesar action uh, since 2015. And uh, this is uh, gradually preventing any other country, any organization from dealing with Syria, everyone is hesitant. uh, that, of doing so. Now, if uh, I go to a bank and ask them that I want to uh, send money to uh, to a family in Syria, the bank uh, won't allow me. They will kick me out because I'm saying I want to send money to Syria. Although the law says that humanitarian aid, uh, humanitarian uh, issues are Uh, not included in the sanctions. Uh, We're talking about, uh, when we talk about private sector, when we talk about uh, businesses, when we talk about banks, uh, organizations, everyone, everyone, don't want to uh, deal with syria they just don't want this headache so this is why it's very hard now to uh, to to help syria and because no one can help syria syria is also not in the news and um, i think also uh, because solving the problem solving uh, the, the the biggest issues that uh, caused the war in syria uh, is another reason for why the media just ignored Syria. We remember a few years ago when Assad used the chemical weapons against his, his own people, uh, President Barack Obama said, that's the red line, and I want mm-hmm. to do something. But President Biden uh, faced very hard uh, options. All the options were very hard. He did not want to uh, topple down uh, the Assad regime because the radical militias were already in the streets of Syria. And all it took is an airstrike uh, that could kill the the Assad and the, the, the radical militias, including ISIS and al-Qaeda, of course, who took over the country. Uh, so he did not have a lot of options. He uh, he he targeted few uh, facilities uh, for Assad, but it was not uh, powerful. And since then, the world decided to forget about Syria because uh, there is a reason now why we see Ukraine in the news every day because there is a political action uh, towards Ukraine. The here in the White House the briefing we hear every day from the state department it's all about ukraine and this is what the media cover they cover what the White House does what the state department does what the president where is president biden so uh, because Syria is uh, forgotten by politicians is also forgotten by media and it is forgotten in a case like the earthquake as well
1: it's really a shame. It's a shame because um, in Syria, what we've been hearing from the news for the last, you know, 10 years is about a country whose leadership doesn't care about its own people. And it's one thing when um, a government is causing problems for its own people the way that Syria has. And it's another when a natural tragedy strikes and you have two nations that are hit by the same tragedy and one of them will hopefully recover. And and Syria, realistically, um, you know, we don't know what recovery will look like there. Uh, now, I, I know that this has been a very heavy topic, but we do like to end our episodes with a happier note. So, before we sign off, um, you know, being Syrian, I'm Syrian, you're Syrian, and Myram is from Egypt. Uh, we want to ask you your favorite food from your home country. So, what is your favorite Syrian cuisine?
0: Yes, uh, so uh, I love the cuisine uh, the, uh, from Aleppo. I love uh, the food in Aleppo. Uh, I think it's the best. It is very diverse, more than uh, any other place in Syria. And I love the food that's uh, cooked with tomato sauce. I love tomato sauce. And, uh, Me too. I love uh, kusa mahshi, uh, which is a stuff mm. to I was about to say, do you like mahshi kusa? Yeah, okay, yes. continue. So I, I I really love it. I do it here for my family. Uh, they also eat Syrian food. This is what we eat most of the days. My daughter is trying to resist Syrian food sometimes, but uh, I I don't She'll know. She'll come really. around.
2: She'll come around. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a give and take. You got to give and you got to take.
0: Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, we always exactly. talk about our rebellion phases.
0: Yes, so she so... she
1: will come around to the mechshi kusa. We love the mechshi. <laughs>
0: She should, she
2: should,
1: yes. Hopefully. Thank you so
2: much for joining us, Hadil. And thank you um, for letting us take a stab at exploring Syria and all of its uh, beauty and pain. It's really been a pleasure. Um, and thank you for tuning in to Americanish. We will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mariam and Adela.
1: Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Americanish. For more exclusive content, subscribe to us on Instagram. See you next week.